Well, good evening. Welcome to Rimrock Downtown. Uh, it's glad to see you guys here. It's glad to be here. Um, uh, my family and I have missed the last couple weeks. Just been out of town on vacation and such. Um, but we're really uh, thankful to be back with you guys. It's good to see some familiar faces. Good to see some new faces around here. So welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. A um, couple announcements that I just want to make uh, for you guys is... Uh, uh, next Thursday, uh, August 24th, um, we're going to gather together here uh, at the exchange right here uh, for just a time of prayer. And we're just going to really be um, seeking God and praying for the direction of our church as our community uh, here downtown um, and where we're headed in the future. Uh, and we're just, and just in general, just praying and just seeking God and uh, just having that heart of surrender to God and uh, seeking his will for our lives, praying for those that we need to be praying for, and uh, praying for our community as we uh, venture into uh, this next year together. So I want to invite you guys down here um, 5.30 next Thursday uh, right here at the exchange. So please join us for that time. Uh, we have uh, been talking about uh, this uh, Jesus uh, and the Sermon on the Mount and his, um, basically this is his um, longest documented uh, teaching in scripture uh, and he, uh, we're, we've been walking through uh, just the teachings that he brings out and he really starts bringing out to the surface issues that, um, really these are issues that we're all, we all wrestle with. Um, these are issues that we were looking at in uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 um, that we wrestle with, uh, they wrestled with uh, every day when it comes to uh, living out our life uh, with God and for God and living out the kingdom of God. And what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives, lives to live out this kingdom of God that he is proclaiming um, that he has proclaimed. And um, we've been looking at um, things. These are issues that, like I said, we all wrestle with. Issues like our emotions and anger. Drew talked about anger a couple weeks ago. And uh, we all wrestle with anger. Um, if you don't wrestle with anger, you, then you wrestle with lying. Um, because we all wrestle with anger. And um, I know I wrestle with anger. I have three small children. Um, I wrestle with anger, okay? You guys, I didn't know how angry of a person I was until I had kids. Um, it just brings that out of you. I don't know why, but it just does. Um, I, I wrestle with anger. <laughs> um, we also talked about just honoring God with our bodies, with our minds, and how we honor that through um, the temptations and the struggles of, of lust and purity, and how do, we, how do we honor God with our bodies and our minds in that. Um, you know, we're lamb-blasted in the media and in our culture with just things uh, put in front of us that just bombard us with these temptations and these struggles for uh, purity and and wholeness in that sense, um, and so it's constantly in front of us, and we wrestle with that. Uh, we wrestle with, uh, with Jesus. Also, brings about the the struggles of of security and where we find our security. Whether you know it's in money, and he he talks a lot about money and putting our security in that, and um, and how we we 
tend to worry and we tend to not trust God when it comes to those things and where we find our security in that. And so he's talking about all these things that are completely relevant. And, and the, 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 the truth is that these teachings would have been extremely relevant, extremely practical, and extremely theological to, um, to the people that he's talking to. All right, and and honestly, they they were practical, relevant, theological back then, and they are still today. And um, and I want to want to bring that out in what we're talking about today of how not only was it practical to them, but it's practical to us today. You know, Jesus' teachings are timeless in Scripture, and um, and God's word says that Scripture is living and active, and it, it applies to us every single day. Um, and so it's, it's both relevant and practical in the sense that these are everyday issues that everyone deals with. And I just listed a few, but both back then and today, uh, they're relevant and they're practical. Uh, but they're also theological because um, these issues would have been directly connected to the law, to the Torah, that um, these, these people that Jesus was talking about knew so well. And in fact, um, some have called the Sermon on the Mount kind of the, the Ten Commandments of the New Testament. And uh, Jesus kind of um, hitting the heart of each of the Ten Commandments and pulling out what God's original intentions in the Ten Commandments were um, and kind of debunking a lot of misconceptions that people had of the law. Um, and so it's very, it was very theological, and that's the, the issue that we're talking about tonight is no different in that sense. Um, it's no different, and so we're just, I'm going to jump in, but I'm going to pray first um, uh, before we jump into this passage tonight. Um, so pray with me. Um, Father, I, uh, I just pray that you, would, um, that you would speak to us, that your words would be just as clear, uh, just as powerful, uh, just as um, life-changing to us today as they were back then when Jesus spoke them. Um, I pray that your word would be just living and active in our own hearts, uh, that what we hear tonight out of your word, not out of my mouth, but from you, out of your word, would, um, would change us, uh, would change the way we think, change the way we feel, change the way we act, um, but just change us from the inside and let that be um, evident on the way we live on the outside. And uh, so God, um, I know your word is truth and uh, let us be filled with truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, the passage that we're going to be reading out of tonight is Matthew five thirty-three through 37. So let me read it for you. You guys, it says this, Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And what is Jesus saying here, wrapping this up? I mean, he's talking about making an oath, making a vow, making a promise uh, to God, to others, before God, before others. 
And um, in thinking about this and in looking at this, um, and if I could wrap this up and sum this up in, in one word, what Jesus is talking about, it's integrity. The, the concept of integrity. And, um, you know, everyone wants integrity in their life. If you think about it, everyone wants to be around people and things that have integrity. Uh, we, uh, integrity is, uh, think of like being trustworthy, something that you can really trust, right? We want to be around people that we can trust. We want to be around things. I was sitting on my deck this morning uh, going through my notes, and I was just thinking, man, uh, I am sitting on this deck just trusting it. I, I hope that this deck has integrity because I don't want to fall, right? We want integrity in the things that we are around, right? And, but yet, so often, we as people struggle with having integrity in our own life. So what does it look like? What does it mean to live a life of integrity? Why is it important enough for Jesus to really hone in on this and really pull this out uh, for these people and for us today? Um, I'm going to give a a working definition of of integrity as we go along, but first um, I want to bring us back to the context, um, the context of what Jesus was speaking to these people in. Um, and how these pe- people would have maybe heard this teaching. Um, and the context is the, the fact that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd who, um, one, they would have uh, connected this immediately with the law of Moses. They would have heard Jesus' words when he said, uh, you know, again, I, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord well, you have sworn, they would have immediately thought of Leviticus 19.12 that says, you shall not swear by, the name, by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. They would have heard God's word in that. Um, they would have also heard immediately maybe uh, Numbers 30 verse 2 where Moses says, um, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And so they would have heard these things and be like, yeah, that's, I've heard that said. That's the rules we live by, right? We live by those rules, and that is, uh, that is what we go by, right? Rules, rules, rules. We got to just live by these rules, right? So he would have been speaking to the people that would have just heard that and heard the, the rule that Jesus was talking about. But he also would have been speaking to the same people who have completely missed it. I mean, they just completely missed the heart and the intentions of God in those rules, right? They, they would have completely missed it. Um, and I believe that, that Jesus really strategically placed it here. And he really, um, he placed this uh, very well right after, because he just got done talking about adultery, about lust, and specifically about divorce. And, you know, talking, coming right off the tail end of talking about divorce and God's intention in marriage and, um, and all that stuff, he then goes into this. And, and why does he go into this idea of having integrity and keeping your word and the heart behind this law that the Jews knew so well? 
Well, he would have known that because these people obviously had problems in this area. These people had issues with this part of their life, I guess. You know, because later on we see in Matthew 19, verse 7 through 8, you know, Jesus um, gets confronted by some religious teachers and they start asking him, bombarding him with questions and they start asking him, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and, and leave her? And Jesus then proceeds to say, essentially, no, it's not. It's not lawful. You know, he goes back to creation and talks about the two becoming one and what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's not God's intention. It's not lawful for anyone to separate and and get divorced. And they respond to him with this. They respond to him with, well, hey, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? If it's not lawful to get a divorce, why did Moses give us this? And this is what he says to him, and this is very important. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That was not God's original intention. But because your heart was so hard, Moses, not God, but Moses allowed you to create this certificate, this loophole, this way out. So these people had issues in this area, right? And they always wanted to find this kind of loopholes, not only in this area, but other areas of their life. Because to be quite honest, I mean, you can just tell by those, like these, these, these issues coming up that these are probably people that just lacked integrity. But you guys, today, we see the same issues. We see the same issues today. They're so prevalent in our culture. You guys, we live in a culture that just propagates a non-committal lifestyle. It just, it just, um, it's, it has become part of our culture to be just non-committal. I mean, the the idea of cohabitation and and living together before you're married is just. Um, so prevalent. It's just a norm now. Um, and to just not commit. And, and that has to do with just our integrity and who we are inside. And, you know, I've been to uh, a lot of weddings. Um, and I've been to weddings that are amazing. Where I just, I look up there and I see these two people speaking these words to each other and these vows and making these vows before each other and before God. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Because what they're saying is consistent with their life and what they're about and who they are. And then I go to other ones where I'm like, oh, man, I mean, can they just change their vows to be consistent with their life? I mean, I'd rather them just go, be honest, right? And, and really just be honest and say, you know, maybe instead of, you know, for better or for worse, they could just say, you know, for better or forget it, you know? And, or maybe like, till death to us part, they could just replace it with, uh, till something better along comes, will we part, you know? Because that's the way we, our culture lives our life, is that it's for better or forget it. It's till something better comes along, I'll, I'll stick with it, unless there's something better in it for me, right? And so we see this issue 
Um, and in, in fact, um, George Barna, who does a lot of research um, on these type of things, on culture and how culture and faith really connect and collide um, and come together, um, he did this huge research on marriage and divorce, um, both between the secular world, the, the, the Christian world, other religions and everything like that. Um, and he came to this conclusion. He says, there no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. There is also evidence that many young people are moving towards embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. And this is the research that has come about. And you guys, it's not just for the secular world. This finding is not just for the secular world. Because in his survey, the percentage of divorces between born-again Christians and non-born-again Christians is almost identical. It's almost identical. It's about 32% versus 33%. Because of the hardness of heart of the people that Jesus was speaking to back then, they needed this way out. They needed this certificate of divorce. And I would say because of our hardness of heart today, we have ended up looking nearly identical to the world. At times, because of our hardness of heart and truly the sense of lacking uh, integrity of who we are inside, we have become we have come to look nearly identical to the world in some facets. And this is not God's heart. This is not God's original intention. And Jesus is hitting on it. And he's hitting on some heavy things, some things that would ruffle a few feathers. Right? But he's getting at a bigger picture too. Uh, he just got done talking about divorce that and, and um, and all that stuff, but he's, he's moving and he's transitioning into this bigger picture. He's casting the nets wider, right? Because this is not just an issue of marriage. This is an issue of our heart. This is an issue of uh, this idea of, are we a people that have a character of integrity, a character that is after God's heart? And so here's my... Um, my working definition of integrity for you guys, okay? My working definition of integrity is that who you are and how you project yourself on the outside is congruent with who you are and how you feel on the inside. Who you are and how you project yourself on the outside is congruent, it's, it's consistent, it's the same as who you are and who you feel, who, how you feel on the inside. Is that true of us? You know, how does this issue play out in the rest of our lives? When we think about it, we have, um, we have uh, issues with, uh, with our character and with, with integrity when, when it comes to our workplace. When it comes to our careers, you know, what, what, do we, what would we do to get ahead? What values would you compromise to get ahead in your career? 
What kind of things would you uh, become about on the outside, even though it's not consistent and congruent with who you are on the inside, in order to to get ahead in your career in the workplace? Um, socially, oh, what what you do, how you act and present yourself in a certain way around others. Is that consistent? Do you, do you change who you are around other people? Um, is it, or is it consistent with who you truly are, who, who you are? How about money? Money is a huge deal. Money is, is a crazy thing. It can do weird things to people and their integrity. You know, how much... This is a question that, that uh, is really powerful when you think about it. It's how much does your integrity cost? Um, I work for a ministry in town called Young Life, and we are a nonprofit uh, Christian outreach organization to high school kids in, in the community, and we raise our entire budget through community support, just individual donations, uh, people that want to support us. Uh, our entire budget is completely individual support, and oftentimes we seek out grants um, to help us with that budget. Um, and about a year ago, we um, had to come to this, this question of our integrity as a mission. And, um, and this was just a perfect example of this, that uh, we applied for this grant from this, this uh, foundation. And as we applied for it, we wrote about you know who we are and what we're about. And we stuck our mission statement in there. And our mission statement in Young Life is to introduce adolescents to Christ and help them grow in their faith. And we submitted it. And they came back and said, hey, we really love what you guys do for kids in the community. Um, but can you tone down your mission statement a little bit? Because we're not really allowed to support faith-based things. So if you tone down your mission statement and just change it a little bit, then we can support you guys. And this was a grant of $60,000 a year for three years. So it was a big deal. $180,000 at stake for us to tone down our mission statement. And we had to ask ourselves, how much does our integrity cost? We could have easily done it. We could have easily twisted the words and not lied about what we do, but just changed it a little bit. But we decided not to. We stuck it in there, and we got denied. But we feel better about ourselves. We had to ask ourselves the question, how much does your integrity cost? And money can do a weird thing, and maybe each of us have encountered issues and times in our lives where we've had to, to kind of like make a, a, a moral decision, an ethical decision, but also a decision of our integrity in our lives. And so it can play out in, in money and finances um, and also um, in the way we speak, in gossip. Um, how do we talk about people behind their backs versus face-to-face? Do we say one thing about someone and then when we're, t- we're in their presence, we'd say a totally different thing? Who are we and how are we on the outside? Is it the same? Is it consistent with who we are on the inside? You know, we quickly realize that in this, this teaching, Jesus' teaching, that God is more concerned about the character of a heart than the actions of our lives. God's more concerned in the character of our heart and who we are inside than the actions of our lives. Because honestly, our actions and our words flow out of our heart anyways. 
So he wants to get to the heart, you guys. He wants to get to your heart, and we have to look inside. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we struggle with this, this, uh, this idea of being who we are and being okay with who we are on the inside? Why can't we just be that way and, and show people who we are? What keeps us from being a people of integrity? And uh, I'm going to pull out a few. Uh, they're not, maybe there's more than this, but I think these are the heavy hitters of why and what keeps us from being a people of integrity. And the first thing is just fear. Uh, plain and simple, it's fear. We are afraid of letting people down. We are afraid of letting God down. We're afraid of letting ourselves down. We're afraid of people's reactions and if they'll reject us or not. And because of this, we simply, we we say no or we say yes to the wrong things. When we live in fear, we will say yes or, or we'll say no to the wrong things because we're, we're too afraid to be who we are. We're too afraid uh, to just be who God has created us to be. And so fear can, can take hold and fear can keep us from being who we truly are inside. You know, what area of your life are you living in fear that's keeping you from being completely authentic? What area of your life are you so living in fear is keeping you from doing the things that you want to do, from being the person you want to be, and from being the person that God has created you to be, from being truly authentic with yourself and with others. Fear is a huge obstacle that, uh, that compromises integrity. Second one is shame and guilt. This is a big one of... of uh, you know, the idea that if people really knew who I really was inside, if people knew the ugly part of me, they, they wouldn't like me. And so we become someone we're not. And we say things that are not consistent with who we are. You know, self-hatred plays a huge part in that. When we deal with self-hatred and and believing the lie that we are no good, that we're insignificant, we become someone we're not. We're not allowed, we don't allow ourselves to be the person that God has created us to be. And so what, um, what area of your life are you living in shame and guilt that's keeping you from living in freedom? How is shame how is guilt from the things in your past? We all have baggage. We all have things in our past. We all have hurts. We all have wounds. We all have scars that constantly are being brought to the surface. Are we living in the forgiveness and the freedom that Christ offers? Because if we are, if we, if we do, we can live in freedom. The third thing is pride. And pride can really dig into all of these. Um, but pride by itself is just this need to accomplish, this need to impress, this need to like be bigger than you really are. 
be better than you are at something. Um, and really, it's people-pleasing. It, it causes people-pleasing. It causes you to say yes to everything, to overcommit yourself to things because <clears throat> of your pride. You're, you're too prideful to say, no, I can't do that. And so you become someone you're not. You, you, you do things, you say yes to the wrong things. And you guys, you know, in Jesus' words, he says, let your yes, let it either be yes or no. He says, he doesn't say it's wrong to say no. In fact, more of us should start saying no more often. And I think that we would live a freer life if we started saying no to more things. What area of your life do you need to surrender and give up? To give up trying to be someone you're not. And so these are things that keep us from being people of integrity. Fear, shame, guilt, pride. There's probably more. These are just a few. But we really need to look inside because Jesus is trying to get to the heart, remember. We need to look inside. Where have our hearts become hardened? to God's original intention for our lives. Where have our hearts become hardened to God's original intentions for our lives? And we have to answer that, and we have to look at that and be honest with ourselves about that before we can move on to the next one, which is how do we gain a character of integrity? Whoa, just lost that one, but... We seem to have a pattern of things falling <laughs> here. I need to uh, check the integrity of my pocket here. All right, so how do we gain a, ca- a character of integrity? And uh, I really have one point on this. One solid point that if we can wrap our minds and wrap our lives, wrap our hearts around this solid point, man, it'll change our lives forever. You guys... How do we become a people of integrity? We have to know who you are in Christ. You have to know your identity in Christ. And a good friend of mine always followed that up with, know whose you are. Know who you are in Christ, and know whose you are in Christ. Because John, uh, 1 John 3, verse 1 and 2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Know who you are and know whose you are. You are a child of God. And when we know that, when we know what it means to be a child of God, you guys, we don't need anything else. There's nothing else we should need when we know we're a child of God because everything he has is, uh, is ours. There's nothing we should need. No one else's approval. We don't, we don't need any, anyone else's approval. We will have no fear when it comes to what people in fact, in, in John 4, uh, this is 1 John, again, 1 John 4, 8 and 18, it says, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
Because if we're wrapping ourselves in the love of God and who we are in that, then we will have no fear because we have no reason to fear. What about the, the shame and the guilt? Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The forgiveness of Christ means that there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. We have been set free from that. God says he's cast that as far as the east is from the west. They will never meet again. We don't have to live in that. He's forgiven us. He's freed us. We can live in that freedom. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can let that go. You don't have to be someone you're not because of that shame and that guilt. You can be who you are, that child of God. He has loved you. He has adopted you. He has brought you in to him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a beautiful verse about who we are, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ that we need to be true to who we are. In that it, we need to be true to that new creation. Because so many times we um, are, remain loyal to the part, the life, the old life that's dead. Too many times we remain loyal to the dead part of us to something that's dead that doesn't have life rather than to the spirit. We, we lack being loyal to the spirit in our lives that's living, that's active. You guys, that, that, that shame, that guilt, that fear, that's dead. Christ has conquered that. You don't have to live in that. You be true to who you are in Christ. And lastly, because of that, it says in 2 Corinthians, moving on a little bit further, 2 Corinthians 6.1, it says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is the grace of God, that our shame, our guilt, our fear has been cast away, has been defeated, has been, it's been taken care of. We don't have to live in it anymore. We don't have to uh, be held in bondage to it anymore. That is only because of the grace of God, but keep pleads, he appeals to us to not take that grace in vain. And so many times we take God's grace in vain and we take it and we receive it and we don't live in it. I mean, if someone just handed me uh, the, brand, brand, the keys to a brand new you know, BMW and I took it and said thank you and threw the keys in my junk drawer and went on driving my you know, Subaru Forester, that would be insanely ridiculous, Right? Like, why would I receive a gift and not experience it and not live in it? But we do this all the time with the grace of God because, you guys, when we truly embrace God's grace, we can experience the freedom to be who we truly are. If you're living a life and you just feel like, man, I just don't feel like, I feel fake, I feel inauthentic, I'm not, I don't know who I am. Guys, embrace God's grace in who you are.
because that's the only way we'll have the freedom to be who we truly are. Um, as the worship team comes up, um, I'm just going to leave you with some final thoughts. You guys, this final thought is that when we're grounded and we're, when we're rooted, rooted in who we are in Christ, we're going to be okay with people knowing and seeing who we are inside. We're going to be okay with people knowing and seeing the ugly parts of us. The stuff that's messy. Because you guys, let's be honest. Our lives are messy. My life is messy. But when we do this, when we're rooted and grounded in that, we can be confident in what we, in his love for us. We can be confident in our yeses when we say yes. We can be confident in our noes when we say no because we know who we are. We're secure in that. We can encounter an opportunity to have a character of integrity and, and we will be confident in our response because we are being true to who we are. We don't have to live in fear. Two questions I want to leave you guys with. Number one, that maybe you could just ask yourself, what lie, what lie are you believing that has kept you from being who you truly are? Is it the lie of fear, of shame, of pride, anything I mentioned? Is it something else? Is it another lie that you're believing that's keeping you from being who you really are? And secondly, what truth do you need to remind yourself of today to help you be true to who you are in Christ? You guys, scripture is just, I mean, I, I listed a bunch, but scripture is just riddled and full of truth about our identity in Christ and who we are. That we are adopted into his family. That we are fully loved by him. That we are, are his children. What truth do you need to be reminded of this week that will help you be true to who you are in Christ? Let me pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have offered us freedom and offered us your yourself and your love. I pray that we would experience that. I pray that we would embrace that. Um, Lord, um, we... Uh, can can go on in this life and 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 live um, exactly the way the world tells us to live, and we will be held in bondage, and we will be uh, we will struggle, we will live in fear, and live in guilt and condemnation. But when we live for you, God, we find freedom. Help us to surrender. Help us to give up who we think we need to be and just embrace who we are and who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.